Well, Merry Christmas, everyone. Merry Christmas to those in traditions. I can't believe it's two weeks away. I am kind of in disbelief. How about you guys? Anyone else? Yeah, it, man, it just flew by, but Christmas is my favorite, so I am so excited, and it's been great over the last few weeks talking about the light of the world, right? Talking about Jesus. That's why Christmas is my favorite, and we've been talking about how Jesus is hope, right? That there, the reason for hope is because Jesus came, and then last week we talked about we have love because of Jesus in spite of hate, and so Man, today I'm so excited to talk about the, Jesus, the difference Jesus makes because um, today we're talking about how Jesus makes it possible to experience joy in every situation. And so we're going to be in the book of Luke today. If you want to open it up, we're going to read kind of uh, pieces of, of the first chapter. And um, in scripture, there are what we call the gospels, the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And they all tell um, stories about Jesus and Jesus's ministry on earth, and they have different perspectives because they're written by different people. And so Luke comes at the Jesus story, and something that Luke does that's a little unique to him is he also talks about the story of John the Baptist in detail. And so we're going to read a little bit of that. John the Baptist is a son of Zechariah and Elizabeth, and their story is happening at the same time that Mary is pregnant with Jesus. And so that's why this is kind of go, coincides with the Christmas story. And so let's dive in at verse six. It says, Zachariah and Elizabeth were righteous in God's eyes, careful to obey all the Lord's commandments and regulations. They had no children because Elizabeth was unable to conceive and they were both very old. One day, Zechariah was serving God in the temple, for his order was on duty that week. As was the custom of the priests, he was chosen by lot to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. While the incense was being burned, a great crowd stood outside praying. While Zechariah was in the sanctuary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the incense altar. Zechariah was shaken and overwhelmed with fear when he saw him. But the angel said, don't be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. Your wife, Elizabeth, will give you a son and you are to name him John. You will have great joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth for he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. We're gonna pause there. And there is so much we could focus on in this story. There's so many different things that we could learn and study. But today, I just want to focus in on what Zachariah and Elizabeth must have been feeling. Because the struggle of infertility is a huge struggle, right? It's one that has a lot of sorrow. It has a lot of disappointment. And I think it's really unique because it's a really personal struggle, Right, even today, this struggle is one that a lot of people don't even talk about. Right, we it feels weird to share about it, um, and and couples even experience it in different ways. Right, a husband experiences infertility different than a wife does. It's it's very personal kind of sorrow, and this is the sorrow that Zachariah and Elizabeth are going through, and you know, in that culture, they probably got married pretty young. 
young to our standards, right? Um, and now the Bible describes them as old in age. And so this has been a struggle for a long time. They have been unable to conceive. And the thing about this struggle is that in that culture, not having children would be kind of this like treacherous thing about their life. They would have financially had issues because the retirement plan at that time was kids. I know some, for some of you, you're like, that's my retirement plan too, right? <laughs> but the retirement plan was children. They, were, they would take care of their parents. And so Zachariah likely actually had another job in addition to his priestly duties just because they weren't able to have children. But then additionally, this was kind of a socially disastrous thing for them. It was not looked down on very, very, it was not looked well of to not be able to have kids. In fact, Elizabeth says later on in verse 25, she says that she has had disgrace. And that word there that she uses is this picture of like public shame, public embarrassment. Like you walk in and just everybody knows that you are unable. And for that society, think, the medical advancements that we have now, like a lot of times we can pinpoint why there's infertility, but that time, no way. A lot of times people just assumed that um, the wife was, you know, broken somehow in her body, um, or even that there was sin in the couple's life. And so people assume a lot of reasons, but ultimately it just brings this feeling of shame and disgrace so can you imagine just all the questions that must have been going on in Elizabeth and Zechariah's mind, right? We, we understand now that people have questions too, but back then, even with all these other layers, they had a lot of questions. And so let's see how Zechariah responds to the angel in verse 18. Zechariah said to the angel, how can I be sure this will happen? I'm an old man now, and my wife is also well along in years. Then the angel said, I am Gabriel. I stand in the very presence of God. It was he who sent me to bring you this good news. But now, since you didn't believe what I said, you will be silent and unable to speak until the child is born. For my words will, will certainly be fulfilled at the proper time. So to recap, we have Zachariah and Elizabeth. They have been married, they've been seeking the Lord, they've, they're righteous, yet unable to have a kid. And Zachariah is doing his duties and an angel appears to him and says, guess what, you're gonna be a dad. And Zachariah says, uh, how can I be sure? And the angel says, well, uh, I'm Gabriel and I hang out with God and God sent me here and you can be pretty sure, but since you asked the question, um, you're not gonna be able to communicate from, for now, you know? And <laughs> I don't know about you, I, I gotta ask, I gotta, can I ask you this question? Have you ever said something that you regret? Right, like, 
Zachariah is saying something he regrets now. Oftentimes, I feel like when I say something I regret, it involves like a cell phone, it involves a text message, like something that didn't get communicated quite right, right? You can't see facial expressions, you can't sense tone. But really, um, my biggest flub has nothing to do with that, but it does have to do with the cell phone. And I'm gonna share really quick. Um, When I was in college, I had a roommate named Lexi, and As things happen in college, there was a guy who liked Lexi, right? And his name was Jason. I hope they never watch this, but it's possible because we're still friends. But anyway, um, so Jason liked Lexi, but as sometimes happens, Lexi was not interested in that way in Jason. She just wanted to be friends. Um, But we were all friends. We were all hanging out, part of a friend group. And so, um, you know, one night I found myself texting Jason texting Lexi at the same time. We were not in the same space. I, was, I had come home for the weekend and we were all in different spaces. And so we were just chatting, you know, as people do. And at some point, you know how that feeling when, you, when you're in a text thread with somebody and you just are ready for it to be done? And you're just like, okay, I've, I've, made an, I've, I've said what I needed to say. I've, I've done the small talk. I have nothing left to give. And someone else doesn't quite get the hint. That's what was happening with me and Jason. Okay, so, so Jason just keeps texting. And I'm kind of done with it, right? And, and let this be a lesson. Sometimes you just need to, like, say that you're done, right? Or say you don't like the boy. Like, sometimes you just need to be upfront. Anyway, that's another sermon. Um, so I text Lexi, and I say something like, OMG, Jason is so annoying, he won't stop texting me. Some of you already know what I'm about to say. I sent that message to Jason. Yeah, and if you're a student, you've heard me tell this story before because it's so brutal. There was no way of recovering after that. It was just like, yep, I'm the problem. It's me. I cannot, I cannot recover. And so the answer was to just ask for forgiveness. Jason was so gracious and so kind. And we were still friends after that. But who did I regret that? I still think about it now, obviously, and that was like 10 years ago. So, you know, we all have those moments. But Zachariah has this moment with an angel. And I imagine he just felt immediate regret. But here's the interesting thing. Think about another person who had a moment with an angel. Just around this time, Mary has a similar moment. Mary meets an angel, an angel tells her, you're gonna have a son. By the way, you haven't done anything that could make you have a son, but you're gonna have one anyway, if you know what I mean. Um, (laughs) You're gonna have a son. Also, he's gonna be Jesus, the Messiah, the savior of the world. And let's look at how Mary responds. Luke 134, she says, But how can this happen? Isn't this interesting? They both respond with a question. So I love this because the point is not that either one of them had a question for the angel. The point is, where did that question come from? Right? Zachariah, his question gets him 
to where he cannot communicate. Mary's question, there's no, like, her question's great. The, the whole point is, do our questions come from a place of trust or distrust? Do our questions come from a place of trust or distrust? Zachariah's question came from a place of distrust. He said, how, will, how can I be sure this will happen? He did not trust that this was going to happen. Mary's question comes from a place of trust. She just says, how can this happen? Like, how is this going to happen? She believes in what the angel says, but she doesn't understand it, right? And God generously works with both, right? Zachariah's questions do not disqualify him from God's plan, but guess what? They get him put in like a nine-month timeout, right? He's got to sit in the corner. He can't say anything. He can't talk to anyone for like nine months. And so we can ask questions. It is wonderful to have a faith that seeks understanding. But we also have to be ready. God is going to answer. And God's going to answer in his perfect way, which is maybe different than our way, right? Pretty guaranteed it's going to be different than our way. And you might not be able to relate to the struggle of infertility, but at some point, all of us have experienced deep disappointment. At some point, we've all had questions, right? I mean, this is one of the big questions people have when we share our faith. If God is good, then why do bad things happen, right? We all have questions at some point, and Pastor Caleb did a great job answering that question last week, and if you didn't hear the message, you should go listen to it. He summarized the short answer is that sin brought brokenness into the world. Sin didn't just bring brokenness between us and God and us and one another, but physical brokenness in the actual physical world, in our physical bodies, all of that is the result of sin. And so, that's the short answer, right? But we don't have a choice if we get to experience sorrow and brokenness. The guarantee of a Christian life is not that we won't have any pain. It's what we do with it. Will we approach God with deep trust in him in the middle of it? Yeah. So I want to continue the story because Mary is about to arrive here. And this is in Luke 1, it says, a few days later, Mary hurried to the hill country of Judea to the town where Zechariah lived. She entered the house and greeted Elizabeth. At the sound of Mary's greeting, Elizabeth's child leaped within her and gave a glad cry and exclaimed, oh, sorry, the child did not give a glad cry. That would be amazing. And Elizabeth, but this is actually really amazing. This is a side note. I'm not going to talk about this, but and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. That is so cool. Elizabeth gave a glad cry and exclaimed to Mary, God has blessed you above all women and your child is blessed. Why am I so honored that the mother of my Lord should visit me? When I heard your greeting, the baby in my womb Jumped for joy. You are blessed because you believed that the Lord would do what he said. Again, that trust that Mary had is right there, right? The joy that Mary had was so contagious. It was baby to baby joy. Like, that's insane kind of joy. But what was her joy based out of? It was based out of that trust in God. 
And have you ever known someone that has that kind of contagious joy? That has that contagious, maybe it's not joy, but just like everything they do is just passionate. It just kind of overflows out of them. Have you ever known somebody like that? I'm married to somebody like that. That's my husband, Kyle. He cannot help it, but his passions just flow out of him. He doesn't try to, but he is just contagious in what he loves. When I met him, um, it, was, it was all about music and skateboarding, and he just overflowed in his favorite kind of music, in our friends as we started dating, and he was hanging out with our friend group. Man, his, his choices of music started to be everybody's choices of music magically. And it's not that he was forcing it on anybody, it's just because he was so passionate about it that we all got passionate about it. We're like, yeah, that's my favorite band too, right? Like it was just contagious like that. And on, a, on like a more serious level, his passion for philosophy, it's been crazy over the years. There have been people that have literally changed their career path because he's introduced them to his passion. And so that's the kind of people we're meant to be right? Like we are meant to overflow out of our trust in God is going to overflow a joy that's contagious to people around us. It's not something we manufacture. It's not something that we have to be like, oh yeah, remember, be joyful today. Remember, you got to overflow somehow. Like it's just a natural outpouring of a Christian's life. And I love this because Mary's joy actually overflows into praise, into a song. In Luke 1, I'm just gonna read a portion of it, but you should go and read the whole thing. Mary responds, oh, how my soul praises the Lord, how my spirit rejoices in God, my savior, for he took notice of his lowly servant girl, and from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one is holy, and he has done great things for me. He shows mercy from generation to generation to all who fear him. That's just a piece of her, her song. You should look at it. But she just overflows in this praise to God in this moment. She just has to praise him. She just has to magnify God. And we look back at this moment I think with a little bit of rose-colored glasses, we look with the privilege of hindsight and we're like, well, of course, like, of course she's overflowing with praise. But you have to remember, Jesus has not been born yet. Her story is very much in the middle in this moment. Yeah, she has seen an angel, she is pregnant, but think about how she must have felt right? She did not know the ending. Mary rejoices at great cost to her reputation here. She chose to view what was happening with joy, and she bursts out in faith. She didn't plan to be pregnant at this moment in her life. She probably had moments of sorrow. She probably, like, was a little scared. I imagine if an angel suddenly tells you you're pregnant, I, I would be a little freaked out, right? And even with all these questions in her mind, Mary bursts into praise. And I wanna share with you a little Bible nerd moment about Mary's praise. You ready? I hope, you, hope you're a Bible nerd like me. 
Mary patterns her praise after someone else, and that is Hannah in the Old Testament. If you don't know Hannah's story, I'm gonna summarize it really quickly. She's a woman who's struggling with infertility, and she is praying to God. She's asking God, God, I want a child. I wanna have a child. And she is certainly experiencing sorrow. The way the Bible describes is that she's not eating, is that she's crying, is that she, um, she's in deep anguish. And so much so that when she's praying to God, you might remember she's described, she's talking to herself like she's not vocally pray, praying to God, but she's doing it so passionately that the priest thinks she's drunk. I was, I was like trying to imagine what that would look like, right? She's not saying anything, but she must be like flailing her arms. She must be like laying on the ground, like just a mess. For someone to think she is drunk, she must have just outwardly just been so expressive. And she is in deep sorrow. And what happens? God answers her prayers. And she has prayed this prayer. She said, God, if you answer my prayer, I will dedicate this child to you. I will literally put him in the service with the priests. He will serve you. And I won't even be able to be a part of his life. Like, I'll, I won't raise him in the same way. And so God answers her prayer. And she's prayed for this child. She makes good on her promise. And as she is dedicating her son to the Lord, she bursts out in praise. And I wanna to read to you what she says in 1 Samuel 2. Hannah says, my heart rejoices in the Lord. The Lord has made me strong. Now I have an answer for my enemies. I rejoice because you rescued me. No one is holy like the Lord. There is no one beside you. There is no rock like our God. If you read her whole prayer and compare it to Mary's, it's just amazing. They both just start out the same way. And really the point of both of those is recognizing that God is the ultimate authority in their life. Even walking through all of these things, they still, they respond in praise and saying, God, you are it. You're it for me. And Mary uses some of those same words, and I think that's so cool. And that's exactly what praise is supposed to do for us. Praise focuses our eyes on God. Praise takes our eyes off of what we are doing, what we're in the middle of, and it focuses us on God. And this is the experience of Christians when we gather to worship. That's a, a huge reason why it instills in us the ability to relate our circumstances to God's love and his work in our life. When we come together and we sing songs together, it shapes our theology, it shapes how we think of God, and it puts our focus on him. When we worship, we become more devoted, right? We, we enter this space together, and it's sacred. And I think that we sometimes have lost a little bit of this, when we gather together viewing it as sacred, often we gather together and, and maybe we just kind of sit back and we kind of feel like it's a concert or kind of feel like, oh, well, let me make my grocery list on my phone, you know? We don't really view this moment 
as a sacred part of our week, as a sacred space that we gather, you know, and don't blame this on Gen Z, all right? I got to stick up for my Gen Z here. Don't blame it on them because when those cell phones go off in service, I promise you it ain't any teenagers. Right? This is a sacred space. And I love you still if your cell phone goes off. And so does Pastor Caleb. And it's okay. (laughs) But seriously, do we regard Sunday mornings as sacred, irreplaceable moments? Untouchable that we weekly devote to the Lord? Or when service goes a little long, do we just dip out? When the weather's nice, do we just hit up the lake? Right? Man, the people of God saying, this is untouchable. You cannot touch my Sunday mornings. Man, I think, man, not to call anybody out, but I think Nathan Larson right here, man, he has Sunday mornings off, right? How many of you, you have to request Sundays off. That's creating a sacred space, right? Man, walking in a room and saying, I got my Bible, I got my notebook, I'm ready to learn because this is sacred. That kind of devotion sparks joy in other people. That kind of devotion is contagious. Like, what? You would rather sit in church on Sunday than earn more money? That doesn't make sense with the culture, right? But Jesus makes all the difference in our life and he brings that out of us. We, we regard this moment where we get to meet with him as sacred. And that's what Zechariah did. Zechariah regarded his duties as sacred. He lost the ability to communicate in the middle of his duties, in the middle of what he was working on. And then the Bible says he continued his duties. He finished what he was doing because it was a sacred moment to him. And that is true devotion. And that is contagious. And so we're gonna get a little Marie Kondo here, but does your devotion to God spark joy in others? Remember when spark joy was like the big thing all the time? (laughs) Does your devotion to God do that? Does it spark joy in others, right? Man, we have great examples in our church of people who seek the Lord in worship no matter what anybody else thinks, when was the last time you did that? When was the last time you just lost all dignity? When you didn't care who was next to you, but you just had to fall on your face before God? When was the last time? When's the last time that you just shared what God is doing in your life? That's devotion, that's what sparks joy in others, and we can have this because of Jesus. These stories of Hannah, these stories of Mary and Elizabeth and Zachariah, they show us that God is involved in our life. He cares about what we care about. He cares about our disappointment and sorrow. And remember, Jesus left left us with an incredible gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit leads us in those moments And joy is the evidence of the Holy Spirit leading your life, right? Joy is a fruit of the Spirit, and that means that people can see it. A fruit is something people can see, and that's what joy is. It's meant to be something that people can see. It's not the fruit of a life that's perfect, 
It's the fruit of a life that is led by the Holy Spirit. And so I want to sum up the end of Elizabeth and Zechariah's story here because they have their baby, right? They have John the Baptist. And when it comes time to name the baby, the assumption is he's going to have a family name. That's what everyone assumes. But remember, Zechariah was told to name him John. And so Zechariah writes down the name John. And Elizabeth says, we are going to name him John. And the Bible says that once that happened, at that moment, immediately, Zechariah praised God. In Luke 1, 68, I'm gonna read a snippet again of what Zechariah says. He says, praise the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has visited and redeemed his people. He has sent us a mighty savior from the royal line of his servant David, just as he promised through his holy prophets long ago. Now we will be saved from our enemies and from all who hate us. He has been merciful to our ancestors by remembering his sacred covenant. Zechariah, remember, he's been in this time out for like nine months. He could have been bitter. He could have been disappointed, right? He has prayed for all these years for a kid, and now he couldn't communicate the whole time. He could have chosen a lot of different responses, but he chose to praise God. He chose to praise God. He's thankful that he gets to be used by God in God's story. Even though he walked through sorrow, he walked through brokenness to get there. In all these circumstances, the joy God brings does not depend on what's happening And in all of the circumstances, we find at the end, the people of God praising God, right? Mary, she's rejoicing in the middle of her story. Jesus is not born yet. She has not seen what is going to happen. She's praising God. We saw Hannah. She's praising God. And yeah, she has the miracle of her son, but she's dedicating him to the Lord. It's not the perfect plan, right? It's not in the timing that she would have wanted, And lastly, Zechariah, he's praising God after he finally obeys, right? The last piece of of Zechariah's puzzle is naming his son, and that is when he gets to praise God. In all these situations, praise is also outwardly expressed. It's not held in. And so today, I can't imagine any other response but for us to praise God together as a church. And I wanna call the band back up as we prepare to praise God together in in both of our venues, we can see through these stories that a relationship with God is not just taking our good times to God. It's not just praising him in the joy. It's also praising him through the disappointment. It's also found in those tough moments. And I know in a church family this size of, you know, this varied We have people who are at all different points on their journey with God. And in your journey with questions and sorrow, and I'm right there with you. I know one of the toughest parts of my personal experience with sorrow is sometimes just controlling my thoughts. You know, when when my mom died, when you lose a person like that, sometimes it can be so easy to just think of what could have been, what would have been, what should have been. But 
God's word says to fix your thoughts on what is true. That's Philippians 4.8. Fix your thoughts on what is true. And don't we find all the people in these stories fixing their thoughts on what is true? And that is who God is. That is the character of God. And so often when I get in that headspace, I just have to fix my thoughts on God, right? I have to fix my mind on things above. Sometimes I'll even put on worship music and start to think about who God is and I can hear the truth and it creates that sacred space for me to meet with God. Jesus came to earth and lived among us. He experienced every sorrow. He experienced every disappointment. He even had questions, right? But Jesus makes it possible to experience joy in every situation. We see Hebrews said the joy set before Jesus, he endured the cross. He endured the disappointment, the hurt, the pain, and it was joy. There's no other way to find joy. Time, I gotta break it to you, it does not heal all wounds, only God does. God heals all wounds. So wherever you find yourself today, maybe you can relate to being in the middle like Mary, maybe you can relate to Hannah not the answer you would have gotten, but you're at the end. So maybe you can relate to Zachariah and Elizabeth and you just need to take that next step of obedience. Jesus makes it possible for you to still experience joy no matter what. So I wanna ask um, everyone to bow your head and close your eyes. We're just gonna pray. And I just wanna ask if there's anyone in this room and you, you just feel like, man, this is, this is a challenge for me, Susie. This is a challenge for me to let go of sorrow, to to trust God with, with what's going on in my life, with my questions, and I want you to pray for me. I wanna trust God. Will you just slip your hand up all around this room, if that's you? Thank you for your hands. Thank you for your hands. That's honest, that's honest. We don't have to hide our questions from God. So God, I just ask for your Holy Spirit to be with us. In this moment, would you be the comforter? Would you comfort those who raise their hand and are in the middle of sorrow or pain or questions or whatever? God, you know where they are, you see them, you care. God, would you reassure them that you're with them, that they're not alone, that you have incredible joy. God, would you help them to trust you in every situation? In Jesus' name, amen.